What's happening, everybody? This is Eric Wright, the host of your Disco Posse podcast, and you're about to listen to an amazing episode featuring Zach Brigman. Zach does product marketing with Metallic, which is part of Commvault. Really, really cool stuff, and most importantly, we're going to go to the old Simon Sinek classic, Start With Why. The why and the how and the method are so fundamentally important to how you build products, how you connect people to products. This is something that is a deep conversation. If you're thinking about building products, you're thinking about product strategy, product management, product marketing. Zach is just an absolute wealth of knowledge and shares great ideas and stories on, on how he works. This is really about connecting people with outcomes. It's uh, it's like a lesson. This is really truly like the ultimate. You know, forget about all these online lessons you could take. Just come listen to this. So Zach's really really cool. Hey, I'm speaking of really cool. Being really cool means that you're supported by really cool people. I'm so happy that I'm supported and sponsored by the amazing folks like Jr. and his team over at the Shift Group. Because if you talk about method, Jr. and his team are turning elite sports professionals into elite sales professionals for technology startups. This is an amazing thing to see. Everything from SDRs, BDRs, all the way up to account executives, training. He doesn't just give you people, he gives you people with a playbook, with methods. He helps you to build, hire, create team, culture, everything. This is absolutely fundamental. If you wanna grow your business, especially today, these are difficult times. You need to sell into the downturn. If you're not doing that, if you're not hiring the right people, it is absolutely going to be something that you pay for in the wrong way over the course of the next 18 months. So go talk to JR and his team at the Shift Group. Go to shiftgroup.io. So it's absolutely, go check it out. Make sure you tell them that, uh, that Eric sent you. Oh, by the way, also JR has been on the podcast, so go check out his previous podcast. And of course, hey, if you want to talk about messaging and platforms and, and ideas and how do you connect to people, hey, go check out my company, gtmdelta.com. GTM Delta is a go-to-market Delta Force. We are the folks that are help you to get high-velocity technical content aimed at technical buyers and technical users. This is the place you need to go where you want to connect stories with true deep technology understanding so connect your brand with people that are technology buyers. You know, forget about the old school method. ChatGPT can't save you. You need people. You need my team. Oh, by the way, if you like coffee, go to diabolicalcoffee.com. All right, that's all my sponsors. Go check it out. This is Zach Brigman from Metallic. So I am really in happy when you when you plan something and then we get to start it. It's kind of cool. I don't often do the like meet before we podcast, but like this was cool, Zach. We did meet beforehand uh, briefly and it took me about 32 seconds to realize that this is going to be an amazing conversation because like as soon as we chatted, it was like, yeah, I'm not going to we're not I'm not going to have to work hard here. <laughs> this is going to be a blast. Uh, we, we, we got a lot of neat stuff to talk about, both kind of like industry stuff, what you and the, and the team are doing through, through work, but also just, you know, how you got to there. And, and there's a lot of, a lot of fun stuff we're going to talk about. So 
I'm lucky enough that I spent a little time with you already, Zach. Uh, but for people that are brand new to you, if you don't mind, let's give you an intro and uh, where what you're doing. What exactly do you do here as the old office sure. space meeting goes? Sure. <laughs> no, no, I, I appreciate it. And, and first and foremost, thanks for having me. I, I really look forward to uh, our session today. But my name is Zach Brigman. I'm a uh, senior product marketer here at Metallic. Uh, Metallic is part of Commvault, uh, so in the data protection space as it relates to my current role. But spent the last decade plus uh, in the tech space, as well as a, a brief detour in, in the chemical industry. But everything from .NET software to field service software, talent acquisition, data protection, as well as um, some really uh, highly specialized chemicals, been doing product marketing for the last decade or so. So I've seen a lot of exciting things, right? And I know we're going to be talking about everything around data, but uh, have really had a, a great uh, chance to see a lot of different technologies over the years and been really fortunate for that. You know, you open a can of worms that I'm I, I'm going to try not to start with the chemical route, yeah. because I, <laughs> but that it is always interesting that in like technology, product management, product marketing, like it's a it's a it's a very surprisingly creative, yes. uh, you know, function and yes. personalities that are drawn towards it tend to be creative they tend to also be you know musicians photographers hikers like there's all there's a very there's the what else do you do question is even more fun and then when you go into background you find out like oh yeah like some of the detours we take in our careers are are really fascinating and it it may seem like a detour but in the end it's actually like oh yeah like it totally makes sense you just explored that part of your personality and your your goal yeah. set and then it's like and we all kind of end up back doing this thing people just think that we're like project managers or we're like nerds you yes. know but to be you know sort of customer facing field facing community facing but yet be a technologist it's a it's a very unique like narrow set of folks that are that are able to do that i was i was a bit surprised by it early on and then i was like oh wow this is sort of a a super i'm blessed because i'm i'm surrounded by fantastic folks like like yourself and so i i guess get i i'm i'm in my among my people yeah no 100 percent, right it's not a linear path right we have many detours as you mentioned right and it takes you in industry to different places right out of industry to different places um you realize what you like and what you don't right and it kind of molds where you end up but the experiences along the way across, whether it's tech, whether it's a different industry, right? They, they give you different perspectives. And that's what makes people a little more well-rounded sometimes when you hear these, you know, what is this person doing in this role with this company? And then you hear their background, their skill set, and it's like, they're the perfect match, right? Because they have these worldly experiences sometimes that you wouldn't pair together naturally, but the output's amazing. So I think it's always interesting to see how people get where they're going. And uh, yeah, there's no there's no one path, right? What, and what's interesting too is that you are, you find over time that the person transcends the email yes. domain, right? Like, and yeah. it's especially in in the startup and tech ecosystem, mm -hmm. there became a thing where we were, you know, at least I'm I'm an older gentleman, so I've I I came into the point where people were like. I got my first tech contract when I was 25, so it was sure. 25 years ago, and sure. and it was it worked for worked for Sun Life Financial. And yeah. my recruiter, I got this short-term contract, and he's like, "Hey, it's been great being your recruiter, uh, but it, you're that's it, you're good." Yeah. 
And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, they're going to renew and then they'll renew again. And then they'll, you know, maybe they'll probably bring you on full time. And that's it. Like it's, it could be a, a life career. And I was like, really? Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> I don't like, know if I signed up for that. <laughs> right. Like I, rem I remembered signing up for, you know, I, I, I wanted a, uh, you know, he says I, I, I wanted a three month cause I was brand new. I had no experience. I had no sure. university. I had a high school education. I was yep. like, I had the technology knowledge cause I'd been doing like database programming and my dad was a, was a tech techie. So sure. I did like database stuff when I was 15, I was learning programming, but not formally just like mucking around with it. And then here I am later on and I'd done a bunch of, diverting of my career into retail and shoe repair and all sorts of weird stuff. But then I got back into tech and I like studied like crazy, took a bunch of certifications so that I could sort of pad the resume a bit. And then when I got in here, I was like, I've got to like go jump, jump, jump. That was my goal. It's like, I'm going to like every one, I can get 20% better, 20% sure. better. Like I got to be short term. Sure. And so originally it's like, okay, we got a, uh, we got you a six month contract. And I was like, oh, I was kind of hoping it was gonna be three. But I didn't say that to the guy. Tying me down. <laughs> I said, hey, the duration isn't quite what I was after. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, let me see what I can do. And then he phones me back an hour later. He goes, good news is I got you a year. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I got one the other way. I wanted a short term contract. Yeah. But they they they, they re-upped along the way and they did take good care of me and, and it did work out well. But it was funny at the time I thought, oof, you know, the, this career thing just didn't seem like I want. I didn't want to start a career. I wanted to start a path towards a career. Yeah. And uh, so it was. But yeah, so like I said, that there's a lot. Those detours became meaningful in in hindsight, uh, which was kind of funny. And it's it reminds me right because I had I, so someone who I have a, a a deep admiration for that I worked alongside a, a manager at an executive at my old company I'll I'll say um, you look at his resume right and you try to connect the dots and you say this doesn't look like any progression down a career path right went to university for for education becomes a, a specialist in pest control does a detour as you know landscaping learns coding along the side runs product management but. <laughs> Part of the reason why he was so successful is all those little things along the way that helped build him. Um, so you're right. Like sometimes uh, one plus one doesn't equal always two, but somehow we're all uh, some of our parts. Right. And it's, it's, yeah. it's nice because I think that's, that's part of what makes tech so, so interesting because uh, you do have people who don't get me wrong, brilliant minds go into it and and that's their focus. But then you have folks who, who start elsewhere, whether it be financial or otherwise, right, that get pulled into the tech industry and can glean from other industries and other experiences. And that's largely why tech is where it is today, not just because it's it's about the technology, but it's also because it's become this broader umbrella that encompasses so many other capacities, right? Yeah. When it's, and it becomes a thing of like, you know, so, you know he's an educator, uh, yeah. then got into pest control. So like, relating a problem to people that they experience sure. like so in the end what he becomes is a, a human interaction you know a specialist yes. and that remember when i was you know when i should have been going to university it was the the dawn of what they called hci before it was hyperconverged infrastructure it was human computer interaction and the idea of like how do we make better interfaces mm -hmm. and then and it became a a path towards behavioral psychology being integrated. And, and so they were taking people from psychology degrees and moving them into H, this human computer interaction. 
And uh, uh, the good side of it is we learned a lot. The bad side of it is we got Facebook and, and TikTok. <laughs> out of it, but It's a perfect uh, example. It really is, right? For how many times did you hear UI, UI, UI? It's a pretty UI. It's, it's, but it wasn't until you had the inflection point of UX where it became this different capacity. Now you see this wave of people come in from designers, creative folks, um, psychologists, right? All of the things around how we use, not just what we use, right? And that was kind of an inflection point with software. It was like, hey, it doesn't just need to look pretty. It needs to be usable. What makes it usable, right? So there are those inflection points that really change the course of, you know, product and, and how things are developed at, you know, a, a very um, molecular level, right? And And sometimes it takes outside perspective to do that. So I think that's a, a fantastic point around how like you think the light bulb goes off and we could think about things differently and we need to source talent that isn't here, right? And it's not because it's a lack of sight, it's because, hey, we need to go to, to, to where these people are. Yeah, when even you look on the other side of the business, like the, on the revenue generating side, like the sales yeah. folks, you know, great enterprise sales you know, professional, she or he is likely to have sold many things over time. So they come in and, you know, we're like the nerds who like, we deeply understand the product and the problem yeah. it solves. And it's like that we get, we dive into like how it works and we're excited sure. about the idea. We know the ports that it communicates on yes. in this, you know, like we are all this stuff that's like down in the weeds, the speeds and feeds. Yeah, and yeah. they come along and like, they used to sell you know, insurance, and now they're selling enterprise software to, yeah. you know, and you're like, at first, I was like, I don't get how you can be so so successful. I'm like, Oh, no, you understand how to map outcomes, mm -hmm. and use really good relationship management to help guide people towards understanding that they have a problem. Yeah. They understand the problem exists. They understand they have the problem. They understand that we have a solution which helps them to solve this problem. They understand there's a value attached to solving this problem and that it is an ROI that is greater than the price of this product that we're about to experience with them. <laughs> and that's it. So, but take all the, binary. <laughs> yeah, take all the stuff out of it, whether it's pest yeah. control, whether it's guitars, whether it's bicycles. Yep. It's what's the outcome you're looking to reach? You know, how do we get you towards there? And and I happen to have a solution that's differentiated from others that meets yes. your required capabilities. Like yes. now I, I you're like, oh dang, this is it's all bloody psychology. <laughs> you're right. But it takes it takes folks, right? Engineering's gonna look at it one way, you're gonna have uh marketing look at it another way, you're gonna have, you know, people who are, are selling it look at it a different way. And it's it's you're hundred percent right. Like it, it uh when you get in those silos, everyone looks at things a little differently. And if you could break those down, then you kind of get a more well-rounded uh, appreciation or approach to something. But engineering, right, it's always going to be binary. I built this. I'm super. Let me tell you about why it's great, right? And there's going to be someone across the aisle saying, well, tell me what it does, you know, not just. Right. So. Yeah. And that's always, that's what's we're in a unique spot where we get to appreciate both sides. Like yes. you sort of get to be the proxy between those things. And, yep. and that's why working in product, product management, product marketing, mm -hmm. these areas is it's such a, I love it because you can be this, like you have to have a deep understanding of every angle yes. and to have the engineer appreciate the engineering. Like I said, I've, you know, machine learning, like chat GPT, Mm -hmm. is going to be is being written by somebody who probably couldn't pass a Turing test. Like sure. somebody is going to be so deep into the technology that creates this machine learning capability. And they're so focused, like singularly, almost, you know, to the level where somebody would be like, 
he's a bit of an odd cat, that person, yes. right? Like, <laughs> but that's, that's their superpower and we sure. embrace it. And then how do I work with that person to empower them Correct. and, and, and then relate what the, the person that's going to consume this product, how do I like create this proxy yes. between those two things and then bring them together where like in product, you're like, I represent the customer, but I also represent engineering because those two people need to talk and they don't speak the same language. Sure, sure. No, and you couldn't have said it any better. And I'll give you an AI example. Someone very early on in my career, what when I stepped into product marketing, it was a new capacity, right? Every company did it differently. Some were focused on solutions. Some were focused on like, for instance, getting very deep in the technical details. It was a medic. It looked different from every organization. Someone early on in my career said, you live in between worlds, right? Engineering is <laughs> going to tell you how, how the clock's made and sales is going to tell you what the time is, right? They're both talking the same thing, but there's an element in between. To give you that AI example, right? We're going to program AI and there's going to be an output. In the middle there, there's a whole lot of secret sauce that needs to be told, needs to be verified, all of that, right? Is it accountable, right? We're, we have these, these machines running. Can we explain it, right? So there's a whole ethical element as well. So there, you know, when you look at AI, it's, it's the prime example because you have the machine and you have the output and that area in between is kind of this black box. And if you have don't have the capacity to be able to unpack the black box, then it needs to be something that needs to be explained. Product marketing, whatever it is, right? That's the focus. It's not just what we're building or what the output is, but it's also that complete path of end to end. It's like from from inception to delivery. What does that look like, right? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. And I think that's actually a kind of a perfect, you know, move into what's important about machine learning and AI and these certain new technologies. As sometimes as frightening as they are, when we talk about it. There, for the longest time, we had this idea that it's going to replace a, a human yep. function, but it, it, it doesn't. We've recognized that it's augmenting and and helping to maybe codify a, a human thing, a behavior, yep. some kind of a, you know. So how do we you know, take not just like raw, like scripting functions, which was the first part of automation was yes. about like, I do a thing, it's a run book. So how do I semantically represent a run book? And, you know, it's whether it's whatever your language of choice is or your mm -hmm. automation, you know, uh, scripting language of choice, that framework is meant to, you know, codify mm -hmm. as a semantic representation of a set of steps so that it can be repeatable, consistency of outcome. That's kind of what yes. the goal was. But then we go one step further, like we've worried about that, but then we love automation. We realize it's actually yep. kind of cool because the stuff that can't be automated, then we can spend more time and, and human effort where it needs to be spent. And then we go one step further and then people are like, but what happens when you get machine learning and it's starting to do behavior and heuristic analysis of things Yes. like data movement, traffic movement, network interactions. And like we are, first of all, we went through the learning phases, which we've been doing for a long time, which nobody realized <laughs> yes. all this data that we've been collecting for monitoring and such allowed us to create models to yeah. help and then pairing it with people that do the thing and saying like, we've got a system that sees this particular pattern occurring. Mm -hmm. And we believe that that means this is this correct. And then being able to then listen to that product, that person doing the thing 
and then say, oh, okay, yeah, this is correct. Oh, this is a, it's a red herring. Like the, no, that's an expected behavior, but it's, gen it's sure. very noisy. And so let's kind of go right to the very start. What is metallic? And sure. that's why I love this because it's like I've seen the I've I've dug into the platform. I got to see your folks uh, at Tech Field Day, uh, yep. Cloud Field Day, or not too long ago. Um, but that's why it's like just beautiful segue into kind of what <laughs> how this stuff matters. All things data. Yeah. No. Uh, Metallic is uh, it's the SaaS delivered portfolio from Commvault. So if people know who Commvault is, a large data protection player in the space, two and a half decades plus. Metallic is our SaaS delivered data protection branch, right? So taking all that goodness of on-prem installed um, software and delivering it in this lightweight model, and it really spans the data state. So if you're looking for cloud, if you're looking for on-prem SaaS, we provide the capabilities to be able to efficiently protect, recover your data, keep it compliant, uh, and, and we do it in the cloud. So when you think Metallic, it really is that SaaS branch of Commvault um, and been in the market for about three years or so now. So I've seen a, a lot of growth, a lot of traction. It's something that I think is really meeting the needs as customers are looking to say, how do I protect my data? You know, given not only just this backdrop of cyber threats, but to keep it compliant from things that potentially may be outside our control. Yeah. And, and this is what excited me about it. Cause I'm, again, I'm a product marketer at heart mm -hmm. and I like to dig deeper. It's like, I would say like, there's the there's the way you describe what it is that you'd go to market with today. Yes. But then what I like to do is like kind of go try and see beyond it of like, based on how you've described this, what is the system doing? Sure. And then what is the potential in future for what that system can do? And that's what kind what really excited me about what it is that, that your team is doing in that you're taking something that is sort of a, a mundane, seemingly mundane thing. You're like, yay. Yeah. And we, we called it, we went to the data protection, you know, sure. description, which was people are like, you mean backups? Like, well, I don't mean <laughs> backups. I mean like recovery. Yeah. Cause actually yes. recovery is the only important part you can back up all you want. If you can't recover right. it in a meaningful <laughs> way, in a useful way. So yep. then we learned about like stateful backups and application, yes. you know, state aware backups. Then we got better and then we got, you know, it was all about how do you do data lifecycle management? Yes. And like, okay, cool. Now we're getting further. And then it was like, oh no, how do we do like sandbox temporary recovery sure. where you, and like, okay, that's neat. That's pretty cool. I'm like, oh, but now that you can do that, what can you do with it? And like, oh, now you could effectively have like multi-stage, multi-environment, like DevOps style of, yes. you could take a yes, system. Yes, you could, yes. Like, I'm like, we thought we were just backing up and stuff. Now we're doing fantastic things. Yeah, and no, it's it's interesting, right? Because I, and I think you hit kind of a, a really, it's a nerve, right? When it's like, you look at backup and recovery, right? And it's a very narrow scope. And that may be what it was a couple of decades ago where the folks administering the solutions, the folks focused on it, we need to backup and recover, right? Uh, data protection, right? The backup and recovery has really evolved to be something much broader. Yes, the function is backing up, the function is recovery. You hit the nail on the head. Nothing is sexy about protecting data until it's time to recover, right? Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing, right, is when you take a look at like these macro trends, you look at the, what's going on with cyber, you look at the pandemic and how that shaped things, digital transformation with going to the cloud, as you mentioned, development, right? People moving to containers. It's really become something that's broader than just this 
I don't want to call it a mundane task, but what ha- it has been billed in some organizations' eyes in terms of saying, like, we need this for a rudimentary backup and recovery, right? It really has evolved into the kind of a backbone and a foundation and a, a, a kind of a stronghold of, of how I do my business from a technology standpoint and making sure that as we evolve, as we flex, as we have new challenges, I'm able to stay secure along the way. And it's just been kind of one cog and one really important thing in the wheel that I think has become expanded. Uh, but at the same point in time, there are some pockets where although it has a broader impact on the business, right? Data protection is still kind of myopically put in this box, which has been uh, a little bit interesting to see how things have evolved. So the definition at times and what it does don't always match. Uh, but I think that that's, that's slowly changing. Yeah, we, we still, you know, if you th- I mean, I've been around very early days of, mm-hmm. of tech and this evolution from like mainframe to distributed systems. And it was funny, like, I, so when I think of like, when I think of backup, I'm still old school. I literally think of some guy with a short sleeved, you know, dress shirt and a wide tie shoving yes. a, a tape into a, a, sure. a machine. And then we got robot, you know, robotic, you know, tape changers. And you're like, this is <laughs> wizardry. Yeah. And, but in the end, it was like slow to back up slow to recover we started to exceed the backup windows then we got lto2 lto3 so we tape evolved and at some point we said well tape's going away we're going to go to you know digital backup and i used you know we actually backed up to a mainframe system so I, i i i won't say the name of the system not hard to guess where we're going but like there were a few different platforms that sort of tried this idea of like can we recover to a digital media and then secondary recovery to tape so that we've got an intermediary place and then we got even further where it's like primary and secondary are digital Mm -hmm. and now it's off-site and then you got to what do you do with that data and that commvault i remembered way early on they had the idea of like what can you do now that this data is in this immutable yes state that you can Mm -hmm. search it and they got into the compliance and like information uh, compliance and like email, you could like search offline immutable emails yes. and like really, really neat stuff around the that, that compliance governance side sure. of, of data management and data, you know, whatever data compliance, I guess you'd say. But then now we got into that same technology to understand the method yeah. of creating immutable copies of data so that you could perform other business functions all of a sudden you're like oh you could take an immutable copy of a database and you could fire it to seven different locations and be ready for instant recovery sure like so that the methodology had to be there first yeah and that it, was the it, the piece it did right and and i think that you're 100 percent right and speaking about evolution right with humble beginnings you look at things like sarbanes oxley where it was like focused on a specific compliance scenario right and you have right. things like worm storage you have things like immutability as you mentioned right it, it's kind of a, a moment where you say okay this is a use case for technology in this specific area when you look at immutability today not that that still isn't the use case right but it's it's more around is it tamper proof from cyber events right so you look at how things have evolved just like the, the tape analogy that you had with you know how things are administered but also what things are used for right and i think that you're 100 right in the fact that it has evolved in a, in a way that 
has supported multiple use cases? Is it used for e-discovery purposes? Is it used for, to your point, right? It, it could be a, a business continuity scenario, which many customers really lean into data protection for. The use cases and the fringe use cases are not all created equal, but it's something that really encompasses this broad set of of potential um, solution areas that data protection can can deliver, right? Then the the interesting thing again, like so, the methodology being important. So that's why, I'm like, yeah. Metallic as a standalone platform and solution set, like the problem set you were chasing was around like can we do this through SaaS delivery and like it was yes. it was neat to see that begin and then of course the the acquisition by Commvault was a, a pretty good well it was to me it was an obvious pairing the challenge is like which side will come out as the you know like the, the the guy in the matrix when he like shoves his finger in his chest and like one of them sure. is going to take over the other the and it this unfortunate acquisitions quite often you can get lost in the shuffle that they'll take a lot of the IP, the, the sort of that methodology, and they'll bake it into something, but lose sight of sure. the vision, the founding team jets, like all this, yep. this stuff occurs. But I can see the progression as far as like the organizational progression was really, seemed really good. And the technology integration seems like they, like the larger company, it's like, these kids know what they're doing. Like yeah, we need it, to learn from them, not and they need and they need to learn from us, and we can learn together. It was like this beautiful playground of like we're all we got new toys. Let's do this all and let's have fun. <laughs> so a little known fact, right? Um, so Metallic itself is an incubation project from Convol. So there wasn't actually any ac acquisition. Oh wow! So this is like a the, very interesting. Yeah. So so. Yeah. And, and that's what makes it interesting. We joke because we say like this, one day someone's going to study what was done here because it really, really was remarkable. It was actually just a spin, a spin out from nothing and then a spin in back into the org kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. You know what the, the funny part was? It was like Commvault was, a, is a leader in the space, right? Um, you can look at the Gartner report, so on and so forth, right? It has been foundational in, in this, in this industry. And we've realized the appetite for SaaS. We realized that folks grow into the cloud. You have things like transformation going on. Uh, there's there's other ways that we can deliver this, right? Uh, so what Commvault really did was took uh, the product, right? Put it in its incubation and, and essentially set it off to the side and said, you know, go ahead and, and do your thing. And, and we ran it as a separate business for a period of time in terms of really making sure that we were able to take that IP, that goodness that Commvault had and refactor the form, form factor. So now that we look, you know, across the landscape, when customers come to to Commvault and businesses take a look at Commvault, really we've been able to harness that IP and deliver it in this new model. But we present customers with the flexibility to say, "Hey, if I need it as SaaS, if I need it as installed, if I need it as a managed service, I can go ahead and consume it." But it's not done without that Commvault IP, whether that be protecting things like databases or, or cloud or, or SaaS apps. That really is the engine that makes it go. But was what was really interesting was the way Commvault approached it and said. Let's put it off to the side. Let's really rethink things and make sure we do it right. And that's what you're seeing in terms of uh, the product today is, is how it's kind of um, hit this inflection point in terms of really being able to uh, meet customers' needs. Yeah, and it because it is, you know, I mean, my, my last, uh, my startup that I was at got acquired by a, a large uh, a large organization mm -hmm. and was able to stay prominent through and beyond the acquisition. Yes. And, and, but it's, so it is a rarity too, even in those, like to have a company to see that those incubation style, like let's create 
a startup within, give them sort of autonomy, yes. give them freedom to do their own R&D, you know, trust them to the outcome. You kind of just like, okay, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you a budget sure. and I'm going to, you're going to run it like a company, but I'm going to close that, my eyes and pretend I didn't do that. Yeah. 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 But it's, it, there's a couple of, a couple of uh, organizations I know are doing that style now where they said like, we're actually funding yeah. internal startups to the point where they're like, you are starting your own incorporation and everything. Yes. And then they're like, and if it goes well, we're going to acquire you. Like we're basically, we, we own you yes, because we're funding you. And ideally yes. we just basically, but so it gives the best of both worlds where you yes. give them the freedom to act with autonomy, like a standalone startup. They have the opportunity to fail, but there's also a potential to have a, a good outcome. Uh, and so they're incented to do it versus like, Hey, Zach, we're going to put you on a project. We want yeah, you to yeah. see, what, see how, <laughs> could we do something in SaaS? Yeah. And you'd grab the engineers and they'd be like, no, people like installed yeah. software. Like, and like, <laughs> like, just imagine for a moment, we needed to start from scratch. Like yeah. first principles, like can yes. we, it's, it's hard to get the freedom to do that. A hundred percent. And I think there's, there's um, other pressures outside of just your appetite from, from a, a, a technology standpoint, right? If, if everyone closes their eyes and you think about whatever product it is and, and that next wave, right? If it was just a matter of, you know, going like this and having all the funding, having all those things and being done, everybody would do it, right? Am I private or am I public, right? Do I have to answer the shareholders? Do I not? Are we on VC money? Are we, like, there's so many things around getting a project like this off the ground that have, you know, macro, macro influences that are outside of just your appetite to deliver a great product. So I think you're right when, when you say that the companies that have been really able to disrupt themselves, it takes that buy-in at a leadership level of saying like, we need to relinquish some control here, but at the same point in time, have some core tenets that, that we, we stand to. So there's a lot of things in there that make it the secret sauce move, but um, it really is a dedication to making sure that one, you know, we're aligned on, on delivering it. And two, we have the backbone to be able to support it. So yeah. it's very interesting, very interesting times. We've learned a lot, but it's, it's, it's something that has been pretty exciting. I think these will be sort of the next wave of, of case studies too, as we see more mm -hmm. successes like this, you think of like Eric Reese and, you know, the startup way and this idea of lean, the lean startup methodology. And uh, so like he did one, the first book of course was lean startup. Sure. And then the, the, so the startup way was a follow on to it which one of the things I loved, I think it was even in the introduction, just says like the biggest problem that people are having is that they start, they come from big companies, then they go to a startup and then within 18 months, they're trying to build a big company. And you're like, that's not why you did this. Like, sure. so the, they're effectively repeating the same mistake. So to have the ability to forget the big machine and that this is how we've yeah. always done it and then successfully bring that in and move the rest of the culture of the firm yeah. to embrace this newness it's it's cool this is where the startup way meets built to last yeah it's a tightrope right like like there is both worlds colliding right and as both worlds collide right there there's challenge with challenges with startup and there's you know the freedom with startup just like there's challenges with with an established business as there is you know benefits of an established business and and if the pendulum swings in one way or the other it doesn't work right you need to find that happy medium of 
the support and the foundation. Commvault's lucky because we have really solid IP that we're able to to, to build upon, um, but also needed to have that that ability to say, okay, we need to allow ourselves to be disrupted by ourselves, right? But at the same point in time, have these governing principles where it's not the wild west. Mm-hmm. Um, the the challenge that you have with some some startup mentality is just the fact that everything's nimble, everything's loose, right? And sometimes that can be a detriment and vice versa. When you get on the other side, you know, and you're kind of a well-established company, you you may lose your scrappiness. You may lose your ability to be nimble. So it's like, how do you not lose your identity, but make sure that the best of both of those principles don't, you know, cannibalize one another. So it's, it's, it's super interesting. And, and the one thing that I would say during my time here, I said, I've been here for about three years, which is the inception uh, of Metallic. The one thing that has been really interesting is, as you go through these development processes, as you see things uh, develop and as you see how things um, really manifest over time, you start to realize, even in your own maturation, right, you start to realize things that you had set out to do day one have really evolved organically and, and you're right where you need to be. And that's kind of, it's a beautiful thing when it happens, but a lot of times there's learning curves and there's hiccups along the way and, and stuff that you need to, to try to navigate. But it's yeah. been a pretty... Uh, pretty good uh, experience in terms of just seeing how that startup culture can evolve. Yeah, it's, it is the, the ideal scenario, but it is almost sort of this unicorn esque type of like uniqueness. That's really difficult. It sounds, it was the old saying, everything in theory, everything works in practice, but in practice, it doesn't. So I think it's the Albert Einstein quote, right? And the ability to the I think the the startup the zero to one sort of crowd they call it you know a thing exists that is a foundation yes. but what's missing is like what can you do for that foundation now and uh, I think the the phrase he used called uh, selling pickaxes to coal miners <laughs> and, yeah. like you can't sell them coal mines anymore yes. that's that's established that's already it's, it's a done deal but what yes. can we do what's the next thing that's a market within that market and that's to be able to embrace that without just literally having people leave and say like, I'm going to do this on my own. Yes. And, and successfully reintegrate that. Yeah. Ah, it's, it's <laughs> and a- the interesting thing to like, you, you mentioned all those things, like we, we purely talked about um, how businesses come together, right? How, how you mold it within the walls of your own organization, but it's amongst the backdrop, you know, of a three-year, five-year window, we've probably seen more turbulence in this window as as any, right? With economic, with with social, right? With with all these things, like no one could predict the pandemic. No one could predict how fast digital transformation, the journey to the cloud moved, right? You look at the cyber threat landscape, you look at what's going on with a macro trend and, and some of yeah. the political pressures as well as inflation, right? There's been like this massive wave of things. So, you know, Mike Tyson always said that you always have a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? And it takes that discipline of making sure that regardless of whatever the factors are, that you're able to still evolve and, and meet the moment. But yeah, that, that window there of, of what kind of the backdrop of things were, um, it takes a lot of dedication and focus to power through certain things because it's very quick to pull the ripcord and say, we need to go back to the basics because things are uh, things are changing, right? So um it, it really it really has been interesting. And I think when we look at data, right, we look at how customers, businesses think of data, their view has largely changed over the last five years, not just the people who are, are setting out to say, we're, we're going to try and protect it. Yeah, the, it's funny, the 
the analogy I would say is like, just starting a startup is a challenge into itself. It's basically saying like, can you run, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the worst because I'm Canadian, so I don't know miles or I know kilometers. But anyway, so let's say a five-minute mile, whatever, whatever a, a really fast mile is. Let's just, sure. whatever that number is these days, right? Can, sure. can, you, can you run an eight-second hundred meter, right? Like that's this yes. like fundamental goal. And like that's a startup. Like you're doing a near impossible task. Yes. But then say, okay, now I need you to do it on the set of Ninja Warrior. Yeah, like that's, yeah. that's what you did for the last three years. Like, yeah, so yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, no, it, it is. And and that's, you're right. Like there's just so many things that, that come into it and uh, everything from responsible spending to the strategic visions and all of those things, right? It Nothing happens in a vacuum and we're all some of our parts, but you're a hundred percent right in terms of the innovation that's been poured into the product and things like, like that you know, it all has to work with everything else. Everything has to align everything. And, and when you do it, it has to be done at a, a scale that can last, right? It's sounds easy, right? It, it yeah. sounds like if we draw it up on paper, everything should go smooth. It's, it's extremely challenging. You learn that along the way. Um, folks much smarter than I have figured that out way ahead of time. But yeah, it, it, it really is. It, it really, there's there's a lot of things to consider. And I think that the beauty of at least the situation that, that we were in was the fact that, you know, Commvault had this really strong vision around where we wanted to go and really had aligned ourselves internally to, to, to make sure it succeeds. And anyone who's looking at it and saying, how do I kind of translate and, and disrupt? It really comes with that vision, that strategy and making sure that, you know, the, the goal was always to produce something that customers needed, that businesses had the need for, right? And and really just this maniacal focus on it. And that's that was the, the, core, the core piece that I think made everything work. Everything else pulled into that, but you know, at the end of the day, it was always trying to evolve ourselves to make sure that we could be the best we could for our customers. Yeah, I think the the phrase that I've, I forget where the origin of it was, uh, it may have been, God, I can't remember, but at any rate, it's the idea of being ruthlessly pragmatic, mm -hmm. that you have to have like this, like, like you said, maniacal focus, this aggressive yep. need to achieve a particular thing like this, that, that has to be occurred, that's the vision, yes. that thing, that method, we do that we learn and listen along the way, but we have to stay on that pathway to that thing. Yes. And then that ruthless pragmatism gets you to the thing of like, we're gonna solve this problem. And SaaS is necessary. So the like the problem that today that you solve and ultimately the future of the many problems that you can solve because you solved the method first, Yes, it has to be done in SaaS. There's no way that we can have the compute capability locally. Like, so if we are always gonna run on-premises and we're gonna do that thing, what you're going to have is you're going to be limited by the capacity and capability of what you can do locally. Now, not to say that edge and local and the increase mm -hmm. in compute, like all sorts of neat things have occurred to, you know, pretty fundamentally increase what we can do in the data center, even at the yes. edge, even in very odd little robo remote sites, you can do neat stuff. But in the end, the level and like the depth of defense, the depth of understanding of doing heuristic, you know, behavioral understanding of data movements, yeah. uh, network traffic movements, the the patterns of usage from net, like combining network and data has to happen in SaaS. That's the only yes. place it can happen. So then I'm going to ask the tough question. <laughs> How did we convince people that the most critical thing for them to do is to protect all their data from the rest of the world? but I need you to connect it to a system that's in the internet. 
Yeah, no, security is a concern. The one thing that I'll, I'll say is just speaking with um, a, a business the other day, you know, it isn't a one-way street. You mentioned it, right? The data center is the data center, SaaS is SaaS, right? Um, when you think about it, it, you know, there's pressures for everything, right? I'm, I'm, go, I'm adopting Office 365. I'm moving to the cloud. I want to protect those workloads potentially in the cloud. Well, I have this database that's core to my business. I want to still be able to have complete control of that within my environment because for whatever reason, requirements or otherwise, right? I've decided that, that I don't want to have that there. Oh, by the way, we have this robo office or this uh, MNA that just went on and, and they're doing things a different way right now. So you have this highly scalable um, framework that you say, okay, I need to protect data in areas that make the most sense to me. Data has gravity. I understand that. But at the same point in time, right, if I have a strategic vision or some circumstance that dictates where I need to protect my data, you see a lot of push and pull. So a lot of folks say, hey, I'm going to the cloud. Let's protect my data in the cloud. Uh, you have other folks saying, you know, which hasn't been as publicized, I'm repatriating, I'm bringing things back in house. So yeah. this evolution of hybrid cloud, um, it's it's a journey, right? There isn't any destination to it. It's the same with data protection, right? Sometimes folks are saying, hey, I'd like to be able to protect my data this way. And for these other workloads, I want to protect it that way. Um, to get to your question about security, you know, you need to be able to deliver, regardless of both environments, the same level of controls. Things work differently. We understand that. Immutability looks differently in the cloud as opposed to it does when you're you're managing it in your own environment. But you need to deliver that capability to be able to say core tenants of things being tamper-proof, rapidly recoverable, right? Being able to have the compliance controls I need, they're static, right? That's something that can't necessarily... Uh, fall off whether you're changing the form factor. So the form factor could be anything, but it's a matter of when you're deciding that you want to go to SaaS, when you're deciding that you want to go into the cloud, it can't be a sacrifice of those core capabilities that you need And when it comes to, to security, right? Making sure that as it leaves my perimeter, quote unquote, right? You're able to translate those security controls just as you would in terms of how I keep my data safe, how I make sure folks can't tamper with it, how I make sure it's recoverable, those things are still delivered in the SaaS form. And I think it, it, it becomes this interesting challenge of, especially in a data management and data compliance, which is really kind yes. of the core, like it's, it's business compliance, not just data compliance. Yep. Like it's, how do I make sure that I can recover my yep. systems and I can protect my customers' access to their money, whatever property, yes. all these things that we manage, I need them to be able to access their systems within a certain period of time, and it's a regulatory requirement to do so. But then the fun part is then the regula regulations often are a limit to innovation because yep. that's what happened with the public cloud. We're like, we had, you know, SOX came along and then all of a sudden people are like, whoa, whoa, I need to, you, your CISO, which was a brand new role, and all of the executive team, so everybody in the C-suite had to sign that they are personally liable for yes. maintaining compliance with Sarbanes-Oxley. But it was a fairly loose set of things. Now, I worked in financial services. Sure. Oh boy, I learned a way more about Sarbanes-Oxley <laughs> than any human should know who wasn't a lawyer. But then we adapted. And then it became this idea of you know data in the cloud. And I worked in a Canadian financial services organization. So it was all about not only did you have to keep your data in Canada, but we had some keep some of it in the province. And I yes. think in the States is the same thing that there's yes. like, you can't take, you know, yep. say, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call it, 
I'm going to use the name just because everybody will maybe be familiar with it. But not, not we're saying it not a customer story necessarily. But Blue Cross Blue Shield is a well-known brand, but they're Blue Cross Blue Shield each state. Yes. Like, so there's there is the parent organization, but there ultimately is individual things because they have to Correct. manage policies, local local regulations, local everything. So we were sort of stuck with that, and then we had the Patriot Act came in. So as Canadians, there was this super fear that we can't have our data be subject to, you know, yes. other countries' compliance requirements that we were not legally allowed to meet. And then in the end, we said like, well, so we can't move to the cloud because mm -hmm. there was no cloud in Canada. And then the funny thing was we said, well, all is strictness to the regulations. We can't let our data reside in on US soil because it's subject to all these other regulatory, you know, Sure. Boundaries that we are that are beyond us. And then in the end, it was like, hey, where's our where's our financial system held? Like our our core like data record yeah. was in a system that was based in Canada, but their disaster recovery center was in New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. So our entire customer database is in the United States already. They're like, yeah. oh, okay, we can use the cloud. And then yeah. it also was like, okay, how can we best utilize the cloud? Sure. And like, so I think that's where we are with this idea of like SaaS was scary because like, I don't know if I trust the data that's in the cloud. Well, it's not your data, it's metadata. And then Edward Snowden taught us that metadata can be pretty meaningful. So we had sure. to get around, we had to dance around that one for a while. Sure. And I think organizations have pretty broadly said, even though we're saying we are, we want to keep data local, we understand that certain functions are going to require us to embrace SaaS. And that's why, the, again, the, the method was important that you're able to use sure. local, localized data management, but cloud-based computational and heuristic sure. analysis that keeps uh, that sort of air-gapped capability. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And you look at from from a requirement standpoint, customers and, and businesses have a ton of different unique standards that they have to meet. Do I have data retention requirements based upon where I am or the industry that I, I operate in, right? Do I have specific sovereignty requirements in terms of where that data is held, right? Are there other things that I need to consider when it comes to whether it be an internal or an external regulation that I need to, to ad adhere to, right? Um, and, you know, you think of things like HIPAA and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. Um, when it comes to really conversations that we've had with businesses and, and the thing that we've, we've seen is that, for instance, um, data sovereignty is something that's that's critical, right? Where is my data held? Where is it replicated? But how do I make sure it's still resilient with staying within that, um, with that, in that environment? And cloud providers, infrastructure providers, right? They've been very good in terms of building this infrastructure that's flexible in the cloud, which allows us to do certain things that, that we uh, that we need to do with our product. But at the same point in time, right, something that Commvault has realized is that it's not always a one-to-one, -one, right? So can we still be able to marry something like um, using the cloud and having all the benefits of the cloud, but also sending copies on-prem if I need it for rapid recoverability? So there's been this evolution, not only of using the cloud, but how both elements maybe can play off each other while not sacrificing residency requirements. So a lot of what happens in the cloud is often dictated based upon where I am, what industry I am in, and, and internal things that we've kind of mandated. And that's 
that's kind of the beauty of seeing how things have progressed in the cloud because these use cases, these demands, as you mentioned, with with certain customers of having these stringent requirements have really forced infrastructure to evolve. And in doing so, right, it's, it's this really secure thing in the cloud that has only benefited over being able to need to meet these requirements based upon really a broad span of, of businesses. The, the great thing is that we've got a lot of operational intelligence that we've mm -hmm. gotten over time and we've you know evolved business continuity and disaster recovery uh you know thinking of initially it was like we'd have a second data center and it had to be a certain distance away for like i i ran the business continuity program at, at one organization for the mm -hmm. distributed systems and it was wild like doing like all of the like matrix of like this needs to be a tier one system well that tier one system uses four other systems that are in tier three so it's not a tier one system and that understanding that that a single application is not recoverable without its adjacent dependencies and this is where then data protection and data management and application protection became so important to understand like oh wow, we're just like firing it all onto one big old tape and yep. sending it off site to, you know, Iron Mountain, you know, it, which is yep. like, that's fantastic. But how do we recover that system? Like, well, we need to recover six systems because there's all this interdependency. And so getting like state management included in the data protection, getting data access patterns understood because what we believe the system does well all of a sudden there's this other development team over there and they've built this neat api boundary to the core sure. application that's sitting in the mainframe so there's seven applications that are using this api gateway they've created so we think that we're protecting the seven systems and we think that we're protecting the mainframe mm -hmm. but who's protecting the api gateway sure like so having patterns of utilization and traffic management traffic understanding included in how you map out data protection is this next fantastic uh field of you know fresh powder that we get yes. to explore yeah yeah you, and you look at the, the 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 amount of unstructured data that's out there today right you look at so when I when I have databases, when I have systems, right, it's a little bit more hierarchical and it's a little bit easier to, to determine, right? When I it's kind of unwieldy when I look at these things that are are unstructured, right? What's 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 it digging into? What's it supporting? So I think you're you're right that it's it's another inflection point in terms of saying, okay, as I move to the cloud, as I I leverage certain things, right, as my IT stack changes. How does that dictate or change how I protect or where I protect that data? Um, that's kind of been a, a really crux, uh, the crux of the industry in terms of saying it's it's evolving at a very fluid rate. How do I make sure that businesses are able to protect data where it is in these mission critical areas uh, today and tomorrow? And you have certain things like unstructured data, you have certain things like containers, you have certain things that are coming into the fray now that need equal protection, but it's being used and leveraged in a way that maybe if we thought of 10 years ago, it's it's not the same, right? The other piece is the cost of movement. Mm. And, you know, in a, as a, as somebody who knows a lot of drummers, I'm a musician. So I, I learned this idea of efficiency of movement 
is the most important thing. First, you learn how to bang the drums. Yes. You know, you learn you learn rhythm and you learn how to do things within that rhythm. Yeah. But then from there, the real mastery of the art is efficiency of movement. It's same with guitar, same with a lot of things. So there's a lot of physical things we can think of, like true, like efficiency of movement. And then we get into like data protection, data management, data lifecycle. It's all great that we can say, oh yeah, I can ship it to seven different clouds and I can do all yes. this and I can back it up 27 times a day. I can take snapshots, all these immutable copies flying all over the place. Like yes. there's a literal cost to the movement. And there's also a, like a technological impact of spin, like spinning it up and putting it in all these places. And it made us rethink on the architecture and mm -hmm. design of data management and data protection, uh, which is which is neat. So I'd love to, what are you seeing as far as how people are learning, most likely mm -hmm. the hard way, what is the cost of those design patterns when it comes to data management? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question, right? And, and the footprint is growing. Uh, so we all know that, right? When you take a look at what I have to protect, uh, it's more today than it was tomorrow. Uh, when you look at things like the cloud, right, you're looking at ingress, egress fees, you're looking at things that maybe are a little bit different from what I had, right? I have storage expenses, expenses when I manage it myself. I'm looking at potential fees when it comes to, to how they just moved. So there's strategic decisions around what I need to, as every business looks, right? What do I need to maintain myself? What, you know, what can I offload to the cloud? Can I use something like cloud storage? Can I use something uh, as a secondary storage target that maybe uh, is a little bit different in terms of leveraging the cloud in that aspect? So I think when you take a look at this, the, the broad spectrum, um, customers are really needing to be very strategic in saying, what is mission critical to me? That's what I need to protect first, right? And then where do I store that data in terms of maximizing my cost? What tier do I store that data in if I'm leveraging things like the cloud hot tiers, uh, you know, with, with ready access are, are more expensive than your cooler tiers? Am I able to archive data? Um, yeah. I know that we've gone at great lengths to make sure that if data is in the cloud, right, a lot of those fees to move the data is handled within Metallic. Uh, but a lot of a lot of businesses really need to take a look at it and say, OK, it's not just as simple as press go to the cloud, right? Uh, once I'm in the cloud, do I have a solution provider that is going to allow me to move this data uh, and not get dinged? If I'm going to use my own, you know, cloud storage buckets or things like that, then I need to take into consideration the cost that's associated with that. So it's it's largely around access to that data, how frequently I'm going to move that data, and then really where that data is going that customers need to take a look at and say, okay, as my business end-to-end, -end, what makes sense for for this model? Yeah, that's the the fun part of that pattern. Like, I mean, the cloud providers have gotten more, uh, you know, nice <laughs> uh, about the idea that like it's not as as punitive to move data out because I think we've generally accepted that that multi cloud is a thing. Like, I used to joke, I said, I'm gonna. I'm going to get a bumper stick that says my other cloud is a hybrid cloud. Like yeah. <laughs> find me a cloud first organization sure. and I'll find you a company that has seven VMware data centers that they're just not talking about. Yeah. Like, so, and the same thing comes with cloud, right? When, when Andy Jassy got on stage like six years ago and said multi-cloud in an AWS keynote and you're like, wait, literally last year, we weren't allowed to say that word. Like I, yeah. I was a speaker. We were told we were not allowed to use the word multi-cloud because they yeah. had to, they, it was, very sort of messaging focus that we want to provide you all the services you need. And I totally get that. 
But then, you know, multi-cloud, I mean, I always say multi-cloud is not strategic. It's just what you're stuck with. You, you acquire a company, you got M&A and all of a sudden like, hey, we only run in, a in AWS. Sure. Well, as of Monday, we suddenly have an Azure presence because we are about to buy a company. <laughs> yeah. No, you you can hedge your bets on where you want to put, uh, you know, a, a little bit more focus if that's if that's your prerogative, right? But multi-cloud is a scenario where it's it's very much a fact of life. You mentioned MNA, right? I could make every effort to standardize on one. It just isn't going to happen, right? And yeah. and when we take a look at how infrastructure and, and products are being leveraged, how applications are being built. When it comes to the cloud, right, there it, it, it really is amoebic in terms of how these things all live together. And what we've seen with businesses taking a look is that, yeah, they, they may have uh, one cloud that they leverage a little bit more than others, but it, it isn't really a scenario where it's only one, right? It's not, it's not mutually exclusive. So I think you're 100% right. There will be something at some point. If you're in that lucky bucket where you say, hey, we only run one, there probably will be something that uh, that disrupts that in the near future. But yes, you can make every effort you want to to, to use one more than others. But uh, yeah, I, I think that the cloud infrastructure in terms of a lot of these hyperscalers will persist at, at a lot of companies. So yeah, and I, that's what I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy that the industry is Ha, like as competitive as our world is and look we know the truth is like we we compete against other providers but in the end it's not like it was when in the 80s 90s 2000s where it was like you have one storage provider you have one yes. you know cloud you have one you know hardware provider mm -hmm. and when you switch from one hardware provider you had to get rid of all the first one to get sure. the second one and it was these gnarly transitions now it's like i walk into a data center and i see all the different plates in the front of all the storage products and in in you know you go to, you, everybody's using multiple clouds so they use a service that ultimately uses a different cloud on the back end yes and that's why having a the right abstraction to be able to handle all of where that data lives yeah and then now that those providers are going to get more comfortable like hey we want to have the majority of data here mm -hmm. So they're going to be a little bit more friendly. Like we get that we got to send some data out. So we're probably going to do pricing protection for organization, for enterprises. Like sure. we want to keep your data as much as we can, but we know you're sending it to that other cloud for that other thing. Sure. So we'll give you, we'll give you an egress deal if you promise to grow your footprint in other ways. So I think they're be becoming more flexible. Yes. But, you know, as an organization for you, like as a technology for you, it's like super exciting because like you are solving the abstracted problem and you solve that problem well, and then whatever the thing is underneath it becomes, like, hey, it's got more capabilities or it looks a little different in how it does, you yeah. know, certain, you know, raw functions. But in the end, like I can present a common way to do a thing. That's yes. a business outcome thing, that, that's a technology thing. And then like, you, you, whatever, whatever the underlay is, so, so be it. Yeah. And we've understood, right? Like, like when we look at the data center evolution, when we look at the cloud evolution, we understand that it's as much where data lives today as it's where it's going tomorrow. Right. And, and workload coverage matters. So when you take a look at how a business wants to run their operations, you know, it, it needs to be able to flex with them. So it's not necessarily just static and, sa and saying like, Hey, here's my environment today, as you mentioned, right? Because you have 
influences like the cloud and specific clouds that you're looking to potentially use more than others, or, you know, applications that are core to you and how you're evolving those. So I think coverage matters because when you really take a look at how I want to protect my data, what businesses are saying is that I don't want to have to upset my strategy because I have data in quote unquote SAP HANA today. And tomorrow I'm, you know, I'm acquiring someone who's all in on Oracle, right? You need to have standardized SLAs. You need to have standardized governance. You need to have standardized compliance and recoverability. So from the insulation standpoint that a business needs, whether I'm talking about cloud or something in my environment, right? I don't want to have to refactor a strategy based upon how my business and my IT stack evolves. But at the same point in time, right, I need to be able to um, have some core principles that we adhere to, right, and, and kind of our mainstays. So it's this interesting evolution that we, we've seen that, that our businesses are going under. But at the same point in time, you know, it really shines at the fact that from a workload standpoint, um, you know, a niche by niche approach probably isn't the, the most scalable, right? So that coverage across is really what businesses have looked for because they don't want to have to upset strategies to, to factor in a different way to protect it, right? So it's like, hey, I need the flexibility to move. I know I'm going to keep moving. Every time I do have a move, I don't need to to necessarily start from ground zero with the data protection strategy. So it's yeah. it's an interesting evolution we're seeing. We're, we're fortunate enough to be able to help customers along in that journey. But no two scenarios from a business standpoint are the same. And what today looks like versus what tomorrow and the future looks like could look vastly different based upon, you know, how things are, are being pulled together at a specific business. But like, like I said, that's why I, I cheer on what you and, and the team are doing like in the, as a platform and as an approach. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that it's like approach is first, methodology is, is within that, the, the, IP in the, the is part of that method and the fact that you're able to build on this foundation which has been you know tested tried and tested yeah. for for at this point like practically decades right it's been around for a while we know that stuff works the the and then to take that and then based on that method to like etch a sketch the whole plan and say okay if we had to start from scratch how would we do it but we've got this IP to leverage so you went to first principles thinking yep based on being able to leverage a fundamental proven set of IP, it literally is like the best combination of things. Not easy, good, like it's, I say it like, yeah. like oh, it totally makes sense. Like, no, 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 this is it's wrought with potential for failure. <laughs> yeah, no, you're 100% you're, you're right. And we, we mentioned security, right? Like there's a lot of things that go into building a platform, right? And, and Commvault has fantastic IP. As we translate to SaaS, right? Like, Trust is a big thing in terms of being able to deliver this capability. Zero trust architecture, hardened from the, the, the ground up, right? There's a lot of things that are built in because it's it's a 25 year plus company that we do at our, our core, right? It's, it's in our DNA. When you look at the workload coverage that Commvault protects today, being able to pull it over to the cloud, and you have this like interesting matrimony between the best of cloud, but this best of kind of fundamental principles that live within Commvault that we're able to pull over that deliver it in a SaaS manner that you say, hey, this is light touch, this is cloud oriented, this is what I need, but I'm not gonna have to sacrifice things for, in terms of coverage or in terms of security, right? Being able to translate what is great about Commvault and deliver it in a new form factor is exactly kind of the mission, but they're core principles that we have ingrained that have allowed us to accelerate in those capacities. And that's largely where why we're 
where we're, where we are today in terms of being able to leverage what we have on the truck, leverage what Commvault's been good at, but really take away a lot of those barriers and challenges because it's been trusted and proven and all of those things that have helped us get here, you know, 25 years in. Yeah, and th this idea that it's like you're you don't have to come up with the data protection solution as like the core, like to have gone to begin again with, you know, recreating that would like, that's why people are sort of generally like single cloud, you know, protection or like trying to only solve yeah. one particular technology. It's, it's much easier to be able to adapt an existing system and a method that's, that's, that's proven and, and then, you know, augment that with a, with a new technology. And like I said, now to bring that SaaS and because now you've got all that data, that intelligence, that understanding of all this history of behavior. Yep. And now we bring machine learning and potential there. I can tell you it's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of field days and a lot of new announcements in the next couple of years because what you're likely already well into roadmap with, the potential is incredible and, and it's pretty cool. I'm excited as a, as a technologist, like the, the nerd parts of me are excited, but in the end, it's only as good as being able to make it business critical. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, sadly, you know, the greatest tech in the world is, is not sellable necessarily. Yeah. So it's, uh, when you got the pairing, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm long team Commvault. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, it, it, you're right. Like the, the core, the core principles, flexibility, comprehensiveness, right. The ability to be able to, whatever that, that data loss, the threat vector, whatever it is, right. Being able to also provide that recoverability that you need, like no matter where the product goes. And I, I think you'll see that in terms of what's being delivered, right. And innovations that are coming. The one thing that, that can't be sacrificed are those things. And, and that's what, is a bedrock in in Commvault. It's it's what businesses have really shown a preference for in terms of saying this is how I want to protect my data, um, and the innovation that will deliver and continue to deliver obviously needs to strike those chords. I think a very interesting um, take a look at at the industry, right? A, a very interesting thing that's going on with the industry is this convergence between IT and security, right? right. As you take a look and see how both are having to come together, data protection largely is that core fundamental pillar. There's other elements as well, but a core fundamental pillar that is really causing the fusion between these two departments and a, and a convergence. And the goal has to be to make sure that we make both lives easier, right? And make sure that we don't sacrifice in uh, in light of that. Yeah, we. Yeah, I remember there was a there was when we sort of came up with the term DevSecOps, and there was a bit of a an allergy to the phrase because people are like, why do we have to say it? Like it should be intrinsic to DevOps. I'm like, but it's not, you see, that's, that's the reason. That's why we have to call it DevSecOps because you forgot sure. the sec part. Like I get that it was supposed to be baked in there, but Hey, I was supposed to take out the garbage this morning. And I forgot. <laughs> so that's, that's why my apartment smells <laughs> like yeah. I, this is what, this is why we had to explicitly say DevSecOps. Like, Sure. Don't forget those those folks over there that you get irked at because they keep stopping you from deploying stuff to prod because you got to run a bunch of penetration tests and all those things like, yeah, yeah, they need to be at the table and they need to be at the design phase and they need to be at the pre-deployment sure. phase and they need to be in the post-deployment phase. It is, it it should be intrinsic, but it's not. And that's why having security baked into operational data management like that's it has to be put into the life cycle and and to be able to have a, a like the right 
abstraction to present them the capability to do those things. Yes. And have access to the, the where the data is, wherever it is. This is, you know, you know why that that foundation needs to be solid, and and then from there you can you can build good SEC practices. But in the yes. end, you got to build them. You got to you got to call those folks up. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a handshake, right? And and that's the, that's the thing. It's and it starts at strategy, right? You mentioned a, a lot of things there, right? Am I properly planning? Are we articulating the business risk upwards, right? Do we have the proper handoffs of where our roles come together and who's responsible for what. And it manifests itself in obviously not only procedures, but solutions you use, right? And so on and so forth. A perfect example is for good reason, right? Ransomware cyber threats are a key focal point around keeping data protected, secure, recoverable. Um, have What does the plan look like? Have we built the plan? Have we articulated the plan? Have we tested the plan, right? It doesn't happen in a vacuum. So you're hundred percent right with that, that analogy. And it's, the convergence of a mature organization has it done really well. Unfortunately, it's a newer practice, right? So, so yeah, folks yeah. are still kind of getting up to speed, but it's it's critical in how we focus on protecting data. It's critical in how businesses focus on continuity and disaster recovery. Yeah, the in in the end, unfortunately, we also get wrapped into the like you know like we're, we're we see the the tech market and the product marketing side of it is like we we come with a pure marketing play which is like hey what's the what's sort of the hot keyword that is going to get us some activity sure. right and of course you know ransomware was the new hotness sure. uh, for the last last while you know but in the end i always think of it as the same thing it's like that's why it goes to foundation i hate to like feel like i'm just like hammering sure. this drum too much or beating this horse but I mean, like my last company, we started off, we were software-defined control, then it was hybrid cloud management, then it was hybrid cloud control, because we were trying to find, like, what's the phrasing that's resonating with people at the time based on the movements that are like macro-level movements and, and operational movements that are happening in, in the industry. And then eventually became like application resource management. Did the product change? No. Did mm -hmm. the foundation of it change? No. Did the way that we marketed it change? Yes because new features came around there was new ways in which we could find the you know but it's like had to have the right abstraction the right foundation the right ip and then like what's a new way we can use that to solve a problem that may be new and it, and that's like so i'm glad that you you haven't said like yeah we're the the ransomware uh you know superpower <laughs> or whatever like we we have to like i know we got to do that thing because sure. you know you got to get found it, on google not, you have to that's what that's what businesses right like it, it's a problem but you're 100 percent right ransomware and cyber is a, a a real a real challenge right but so is insider threats so yeah. are you know unfortunately things like natural disaster natural disasters human error data corruption Right. There, there's one thing that may be a prominent focus because of the times, but that doesn't mean that all of those other risks you just put off to the side. If I lose my data because of anything, right, it's an adverse impact to, to my business. If I can't run my operations, if sensitive data is leaked or destroyed, right, these specific challenges, whether it's at uh, the hands of someone who's malicious or not malicious, are real challenges for businesses. So while we need to specifically to ransomware's point right build controls build practices be able to to keep businesses ahead when it comes to how they safeguard data how they recover from that threat it doesn't mean all those other ones go off to the side and they're no longer applicable right how do i stay recoverable and compliant during all of them is the key the fact that ransomware is evolving at unfortunately a really 
really rapid rate, right? It's yeah. it's a concern. It's something that needs to be tackled head on, but it doesn't mean you just offshore everything else and say these are no longer no longer uh, threats, right? Yeah, yeah. As the old thing goes, right? They we have to be right all the time. They only have to be right once. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a tough thing to face. And as a security professional, as a you know, as a data professional, like it's it's a it's a rough thing to think about on a daily basis, you know. And uh, but you know, as the landscape changes, we adapt. You know, like I said, use the use the right method, and and we'll see the technologies there to do fantastic things. If and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what's ahead now, because I did say I want to go down this tangent before we go. And we're, we're getting we're actually at time, but I'm going to go a little over because I got to sure. ask, what was your what was your path down in the chemistry uh, world here? Because I, that was as a as a tech product marketer myself, who sure. I've done a lot of different things. I'd love to hear what was the what was drawing you to that and, and what drew you back? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a fantastic detour in the uh, in the career. I, I worked for one of the largest chemical companies no one's ever heard of in a, a very uh, specific portfolio that was around um, used for tires. It was used for food. It was used for across the board. Um, the interesting thing about chemical and the thing that I think I absolutely loved uh, was the fact of seeing um innovation that really impacts folks' lives at a, a very material level. Yeah. Things like plastics, things like metals, right? Things like fibers, you you really have no concept until you're in that world of how all of these things come together and manifest itself in a product, a solution or whatever for um, uh, for, for consumer. And the, the beauty is you see all the things behind the scenes, the manufacturing plants, all of that stuff. You also see the molecular level where it's like, hey, we're talking about innovation of fusing two uh, two molecules together, so on and so forth, and uh, it's 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 fascinating. Ultimately, made the decision to go back to tech because that's where my heart lies. But one of my uh, my my best uh, choices was to to enter the, the chemical field because it gives you a different perspective on um, really what it means to to innovate and really what it means to deliver uh, things that matter. So it was a very a very good uh, experience for for myself at least. When I'd say like we talked about at the start is like you get, you know, the you get people who we learn the human interaction and ultimately that is like, what is the thing that we're doing? What's the outcome that we're generating? Like we use amazing technologies, but ultimately what is the outcome that we're generating? And what is the thing that this is why the core of of how, you know, messaging works and, and positioning is the idea of that you have a problem. And as a result of that problem, there's a risk to your business, which is X, right? So it's a, there's a meaningful material risk. And we have a solution that is yes. able to solve this problem to meet your required capabilities in a differentiated way that allows us to separate from competitive offerings sure. so that you can do Y. And that is the thing. It's all the stuff up to the so that you can do, super cool. Yeah, I love to nerd out about it, but in the end, it's the so that you can do part that matters because that is like the fact that I could be a cloud provider for Cochlear, amazing, love that I'm doing like multi-cloud stuff. Sure. The fact that I can see a video of a little girl hearing her mother's voice for the first time sure, and watch the impact of that, you're like, I'm out. I like none of the shit I do <laughs> matters. Drop. Like this, this, this is it. I'm like, and but then I think I used to tell people that I'm like, 
that's that's what we do like we're a part yeah. of that yeah. to to understand that you as a technologist can impact that outcome that's that makes me pretty damn proud about what i do on a daily basis and like and like you said to go to that level like at a molecular level to see how stuff happens and to know that you have the ability to be a part of that yeah it's a it's a bigness that's difficult to comprehend for most people. They kind of like they probably don't want it. I mean, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> well, I kind of digging hard on it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give you a perfect example. Right. Next time you hop on a flight, you get in the plane, right? You take off your land. Think about it. Think about what's going on in, in the plane, right? Everything from the luggage racks up top to the cart that's being pushed, right? Everything that was designed in that plane is to deliver the experience. Now, underneath that is the materials that do it. Is it durable? Is it lightweight, right? And on the back end of that is a raw material. The back end of that is, so it's almost like this downfall waterfall where you take a look at it and you say, this is what we're on. This is what we've done, right? And you start decomposing all of the things. Why do we use this plastic? Why do we use this metal? Why do we use this, right? Similar to technology, right? I'm using X, Y, Z. Now we start to back in and say, okay, what is it? All the way down to lines of code, right? So there are common parallels, and it's it's just interesting to see because you you translate obviously things from technology, things from chemical. You pull them together, and you say, okay, they're not totally different, but you're dealing with obviously different outputs, and it, it really is fascinating. You can go on for days, but to see things happen and manifest themselves in front of you, you're like, wow, this is crazy because this looks like nothing. This piece of plastic looks like nothing. Ultimately, it, it delivers this that impacts us daily, right? And that's the same thing with tech. A lot of things that go on behind the scenes. And the output uh, look drastically different, but they have a meaningful purpose, right? Yeah, you know, and it's funny, like the and the fact that the people forget to go down to the molecular level. Like, remember that these are companies that are literally doing R and D. That is, like, like Teflon was created yes. where it didn't exist. Graphene is now a thing that exists that's now being used in literal like fabric of clothing. Yes, but but which is like a and then fundamental shift in how we can recapture carbon and use it. Like this is huge zero to one, like more like zero to a hundred innovations that are going on that take a decade of ideating and chemical production to understand how it is and testing and all this stuff. Meanwhile, you know, on the software side, I feel kind of lazy. I'm like, I could get an idea. I could go from here <laughs> and finish this call. I'm going to go on Amazon or Google and I'm going to spin up a product. I can have it on product hunt by tomorrow morning. You know, sure. I can go on legal zoom. I can incorporate, I can do all this stuff instantly. And that scene is like huge innovation. But then it's like, but how did you get to be able to do that? Sure. And it's like, it is pretty wild to stop and think of just how huge that <laughs> tiny thing is. I mean, it's probably why people do a lot of psychedelics. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it, right? A next level of thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes people don't want to think of how no. that that little joint that's making the the flat move on the plane. They're like, how many times has that done this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're hundred percent right, right? But you better trust it to work, right? And it comes down to the mechanics of it, right? But it yeah. also comes down to what it is. And you're right, it's, it's the same thing across software, right? Hey, I'm using this for X, Y, and Z. And I might not want to think about it, that the fact that there's a human that created it because it's really big for us, right? Yeah. But at the same point in time, uh, to back into it, you start to realize the sum of all its parts. So and and that's a again one one thing that the advantage that 
you've got as a platform is that the economy of knowledge scale yes. allows you to innovate so much differently than how we used to in straight local install products where we couldn't gather centralized intelligence of patterns now that you can aggregate the right safe understanding of heuristic behaviors across a broad set of customers and then really truly have combined understanding of that so you're not thinking of like localized like so i could say this particular data center operates in this way but is that the average is that the norm is that a mean is that a like mm -hmm. to now say i can measure a thousand data centers and four cloud providers and different regions and you can really do that stuff that can guide so much that 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 feed that's molecular level innovation that's possible it's uh yeah pretty, pretty exciting <laughs> pretty exciting that's right that's right so no it's 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 right and you and you mentioned ai um you know it's it's got a ton of applications the molecular level of that is that the data is anonymized, that the bias has been stripped out, that it's used ethically, right? So yeah. we're doing it at scale. We're doing that practice, whether we realize it or not. But it's uh, it's fundamental. That's your point. So yeah, and and thank goodness for the fact that we can properly train these things. Like as before, if you had if you had you know machine learning that you train in a local thing, it's like I if I if I fed it nothing but Mary had a little lamb, all it's going to come up with is Mary had a little cow. Like yeah. it's, it can only deviate so much. So sure. having a large set of aggregate training data allows us to do the right, in a right experimentation to do the right planning, testing. And ultimately then when we do deliver a feature or capability, we've been able to test it offline in, in such a, a, a really like the same way you go to Ikea and it's got that little thing where you see like it's like yes. pressing on the chair to show you that yeah. this chair has been tested 200,000 times like yeah. every minute and like you're like that's what machine learning is doing for us that's what AI is doing for us it's happening without us knowing that it's going on yes. so that when we see the feature come it's like Oh yeah, no, this feature has been in development for a long time. <laughs> we can explain it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Explanation. And that's, that's, uh, oh, we could go on for hours. This has been yeah. awesome. Hey, Zach, thank you very much. Thank um, you so for, for folks, me. for folks that want to reach you, uh, I'll have of course links to metallic and, and, uh, and, and, and stuff. So what's, but you're a fantastic and interesting, uh, human. So what, uh, how would people find you, uh, out on the interwebs? Sure, sure. So you can always reach me at my, my email, zbrigman at uh, convault.com. Check out my LinkedIn, Zach Brigman. Um, anyone who wants to connect, happy to connect. And I, I know you'll have the, the links out there, metallic.io for folks who are interested, or convault.com for folks who are interested in, in our data protection stuff. But uh, yeah, happy to connect and, and continue the conversation. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go and uh, put on my graphene t-shirt and I'm gonna, <laughs> and I'm gonna then, the funny thing is said, I love automation, I love technology, but then you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pour water over hand ground coffee into an AeroPress, cause I'm a weird coffee nerd. <laughs> and the reason I like to do that is because I love to do it and that I've done all this other automation so it frees up the time so I can make my weird coffee. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Go forth and prosper. <laughs> That's it, Zach, thank you very much. Thank you so much, thanks for having me.